0: Last time actually we had a question-answer session and in which lot of questions had come. So I could manage to answer <clears throat> few of them and um, few remained. So some of them I will answer today. So this is the first question. Let me read the question. So this is about Mahabharata. So was Mahabharata written to summarize teachings of ancient scriptures in the form of Bhagavad Gita, actually conceived in the mind of great master Ved Vyasa, then actually fought at Kurukshetra? Simply put, where did the characters of Mahabharata actually live in real life or a creation of the great mind of Ved Vyasa? See, this is a uh, question which many people ask, whether this Mahabharata is actually a historical uh, event or whether it is just a story created by a great uh, thinker like Ved Vaisji. Uh, Traditionally, we believe that it is is a fact, it is history, because uh, Mahabharata and Ramayana is considered as itihas, So we uh, believe that it is a history and many of the stories which are there in Mahabharata, they can be connected to the places also. We have a place called Kurukshetra, we have here also in the Indraprastha and all. So there are places which are connected with the characters of Mahabharata which are still there. That is one thing, that is a belief. But if you look at it all the characters of Mahabharata and the names which are given there, like the Pandavas, Kauravas, and the names of Duryodhana, Dushasana, then Yudhishthir, Arjuna, the names are not just mere names, but they also have a meaning. So if we just look at it symbolically also, the whole thing falls in proper place. So the entire Mahabharata can be viewed symbolically, as I think Mahatma Gandhiji also looked at it as a symbolic story of our own personality. That also is is, uh, acceptable, because the entire Mahabharata is happening in our own mind. The Pandavas and Kauravas are the two types of thoughts which are there within us, the good and the bad, and the divinity is also there. But at times both these thoughts neglect the divinity and keep on fighting among themselves. But then the good thoughts then surrender to this divinity and with the help of this divinity they negate the negative thoughts and ultimately come to realize the truth. So Mahabharata can be taken as symbolic representation of our own personality From Mahabharata we also learn a great deal of psychology, of human behavior, and also other like about politics, about sociology, about all other vidyas also can be learned from Mahabharata. There is a very famous saying that what is there in Mahabharata is there in the world. What is not in Mahabharata is not there anywhere, means all the important teaching of life is available in Mahabharata. We only study a little portion Bhagavad Gita, but Mahabharata has got one lakh shlokas. And in those one lakh shlokas, lots of uh, wonderful uh, teachings are given. So it is again up to us whether we accept it as a factual thing or as a symbolic story. There is this other question, um, Swamiji first of all thank you very much for initiating us to Bhagavad Gita, you are welcome. The subject of self and atma is abstract and hence sometimes your explanation also were abstract. Reluctantly my question today too is somewhat abstract. So this is a disclaimer in the beginning itself. You said Self and Atma is all pervasive, endless, with no birth, no death. Do we understand that Atma in any individual is a part of the whole, all pervasive space? In that case, does it mean that Atma in any individual is a specific and a defined part of the whole, all pervasive Atma, which an individual aims and endeavours to purify during his lifetime? And then when after man's death, Atma enters a new body, Then the purification starts all over again from where it ended in the previous birth. And the process continues till the self-realization is achieved. What happens to Atma of a realized master? Where does it go? Is there a separate corner of Atmas of realized masters? Because those Atmas do not take birth. Secondly, with the ever-increasing growth of population in the world, does it mean that new Atmas get created all the time? So this is question is about the nature of this self only, which was very beautifully revealed in the, in the second chapter. But even after thinking and after listening to it, one will constantly have this doubt. Because we look at Atma objectively. It is not an object. First of all, we should understand Atma is not an object like any other object of this world. Atma is the supreme subject, the I, the I consciousness. So, one cannot talk about it objectively, in the sense you cannot compare it with anything of this world. We cannot say that it is small, we cannot say that it is big also, because it is the subject. And it is, it, we can, it is said that it is like space, but it is not space. And when we talk about someone dying and going from one body to another, we are talking about the mind and intellect, which which identifies with other body. Hmm. But Atma is all pervasive. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't come anywhere. Hmm. So, what do you call, uh, it has to be seen subjectively. And as you go along, as we have studied the second chapter also and third chapter also, as we, as our mind start becoming more and more pure, we start becoming more and more aware of this Atma. Atma is not something which is there. Generally we feel that I am the body and Atma is inside. Atma means I, I, the self. So it is very subtle and... uh, these questions itself get negated when we come to recognize the Atma as it is. When we consider it as a limited object, then we talk about it as taking birth or going from one place to another. That is the misunderstanding which is there in the world regarding the term Atma. We generally use this term Atma for so many, even ghost. Hmm? So Atma is the supreme subject. It doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't come from anywhere, it always is, it always exists, and one has to, through the sadhana, have to realize this, recognize it, get what you call enlightened by knowing our own inner self. So this other question is there, ki what is the difference between one eva atmanatushtaha person, and a selfish person, because a selfish person also does not care for anybody except his own self. Another person who does not care for anybody is a mad or a unmad. Please try to analyze these three persons. In the second chapter, we had seen that the realized person is, is one who is satisfied in his own self. A selfish person is satisfied in his own ego. And a mad person has lost, uh, I don't know what is the definition of mad person, but uh, one who is uh, not even clear about the relative reality, one who cannot understand, grasp the relative reality also properly, we call such a person mad or intoxicated. So that madness is with respect to the mind Selfishness is with respect to Ahankar, and Realization is with respect to the Self, the pure Self. One who is satisfied in his pure Self is not selfish because he sees the Self in everyone. A selfish person doesn't see himself in the other person, but a realized master sees his own Self in all the beings, including animal, birds, plant, everyone so he is or she is not selfish the self is all pervaded it is within i within you and within everybody that's another question huh even if it is within every living being such as animal fish insects and bacteria also then what is the concept of god whether he is altogether different identity or the self within i is god yes actually when i talk about self the self is is uh, experience within as the witness i the one who is witnessing the world one who is witnessing the 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 waking the dream the deep sleep state is is the self is that atma and when we talk about this Atma as the very substratum of this world or the Atma which is the self of all, then that is also called God. The same Atma is called God with respect to the entire world. When we talk, therefore, the two terms are used, Atma and sometimes Param Atma. So when we talk about Atma, we mean the subjective the supreme subject who is the witness of everything. And when we talk about Paramatma, we mean the same subject as the substratum of this world. To give the example of ocean and waves, when we talk about the Atma of the wave, we mean the water which is supporting that wave. But when we talk about Ishvara, we mean the same water which is supporting the entire ocean, which is the essence of the entire ocean. So with respect to totality, when we talk about the truth, we call it God, and with respect to individual, when we talk about the truth, we call it Atma. Otherwise, essentially they are same, Atma and Ishvara or God is one and the same uh, entity or that reality. Again, another question about Atma. So, I know from your lectures that I am Atma. Then what should I do with my Jiva? Annihilate my Jeeva-hood? Again, there is a uh, misunderstanding about Atma and Jiva. Uh, atma means, as I said, the pure I-consciousness pure subject. And when we identify with our thoughts, with our mind, with our intellect, and consider ourselves limited, that is a notion of myself being a limited, that's called the jiva, or what we call ahankar. Yesterday I had explained about ahankar. This ahankar is an aspect of that little jiva only. So our whole aim is to understand who I am, transcend this notion of a jiva, transcend this notion of being a an ahankar and recognize myself as I am. Like a person who is dreaming. And in his dream he has got a terrible experience and lot of uh, lot of sadness, lot of fear and lot of tragedy is happening in the dream. So, somebody comes to his dream and tells him that you wake up, you will be free of all this trouble. But who is experiencing? I am experiencing this trouble. And who will be free of all this trouble? I will be free of all this trouble. But how come I, who is free of all trouble, is experiencing the trouble? Because of my false identity, because of the false personality which is created in the dream. Similarly, a Jiva is a false personality created by thoughts, by emotions, by our identification. So, realization or, or enlightenment is to recognize our real personality, that Atma. So, the Jiva will automatically get annihilated. For self Realization, is it compulsory to undergo all stages, childhood, youth, married, and old age, etc. of life? Can it be attained at any of these stages? Yes, self-realization can happen at any time. It, we are not born for the first time. It is like a, it's a long journey. That I, that personality has taken birth many, many times. And it's an evolution towards self-realization. It's like a dirty water is there and you start purifying it. It's a process that water is going through to become absolutely pure, free from all impurities. So if the water has become 50% pure, then you, can, you have to put forth less effort to make it further pure. But if it is more impure, then you have to put forth more effort. So as we move in our spiritual journey, we become more and more pure and come to... We become pure means the mind and intellect becomes more and more pure, and we come towards this state of uh, realization. So a person might have reached a very high stage in his past life and is born with little bit of impurity. So even in childhood, that person may realize. And we have so many cases. Even Bhagwan Shankaracharya Ji, at the mere age of eight, he realized the truth. We have Bhagwan Ramana Maharshi. He did not go to any master and anyone. But when he was 16 years old, he got this uh, experience, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, when he, wherein he recognized his own self. We have Swami Vivekananda, we have so many other great masters who attained this state of realization at different, uh, different period of their life. We have story in our scriptures about uh, Shukdevji and about another great Mahatma called Vamadev who experienced the truth while they were in mother's womb. Shukdevji experienced when he was in mother's womb and he was not ready to come out. Such stories are there, so one can realize the self at any time. It doesn't depend on the age of the body. It depends on the evolution of that jiva, how evolved that jiva is. Hmm. So one need not wait for retirement to walk on this path, but one should start at early age itself. Does the karma of one person affect another person? At times we pray for others' health, welfare, and on the other hand we curse others sometimes, etc. Here karma, prayer and curse is done by us and the result benefit loss, if so goes to others for whom we prayed and cursed and all. Yes, all of us are connected to each other. So we get the result of karmas, which we perform individually, and we get the result of karmas we perform as a group also. We are all connected. Even if something is happening in the society which is not good, we are somehow connected to that also. Because we are part of this society. We are part of this country. So as a as a group, whatever karmas are being done, we are connected to that. So depending on how much of, of connection we have, if suppose something wrong is happening and I am encouraging it and I am acknowledging it, then my connection is more, more with it. But if I don't encourage or don't identify with it, then my connection is less. So the one person's action affects everyone in this world. So similarly, not only our negative action, but our positive action also affects everyone. I sitting at one place, praying for the welfare of the whole world, it will affect everyone. And I sitting at one place and cursing everyone also will affect everyone. But in different degrees, depending on my own uh, own connection with the world. Therefore, we say that some sages and all, their curse also was more powerful. Because they were connected to the entire world. It's like your internet connection. If you are connected, then you can corrupt the um, files of other person also. By sending some viruses. Eh? And also bless others by sending good messages. Depends on the connection. If we are not connected, then our curse and blessings will also not reach anyone. Hmm. So... One person's karma can and does affect the person also. How does one get motivation to perform this about karma? How one does one get motivation to perform if one is not to think of the results, fruits of one's action? Karma yoga doesn't mean one should not think of the fruits or results of one's action. But one should not be attached to the results of action. One should perform that action with total attention on the action itself and dedicating that action to some higher ideal. Results will come and results should be taken as prasad. But result we have to keep in mind. Suppose I have to go to some place, I have to keep that in mind. I cannot say I will forget about the result and just start walking and I hope I will reach my destination. That will not help. We have to plan for the future. We have to learn from the past and perform action in the present. And those actions should be performed as a offering, as a worship of God. And that is what we mean by Karma Yoga and that... Um, If we keep practicing, keep following this path, the motivation will come from within. See, motivation, that word means somebody is pushing me from behind. But uh, the motivation will get converted into inspiration. Inspiration will come from within. Person will be inspired to work. Motivation means somebody else has to push me. So, I will be inspired to work, like great Mahatmas and all work in this world, inspired by their own love and compassion to the world, not for a particular result as such. So, contemplate on this beautiful path of Karma Yoga and you will understand this, the secret of it. Again, another uh, two questions are there, but they are... More or less, similar. Okay, how to bring the sacred knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita into our life? The discourse gives the knowledge, but how can the knowledge become part of me? Please explain and guide. This is one question. And second is, I have now come to know that I am a soul. How can self-realization happen within me? One is that uh, whatever we have, uh, uh, when we are listening to discourses, we understand. And our understanding itself is a big, big uh, step in on our spiritual journey. That is one thing. Because our understanding gets converted into action automatically. Many of our actions are outcome of our deep understanding because our understanding goes deeper into us and becomes our nature and it, based on our nature we respond to the world. So m- most of the job of our sadhana is done just by listening attentively and understanding. Every time we shake our head and every time we understand, some wiring in the within gets changed and uh, things happen automatically that's the beauty you don't have to do anything that is one aspect huh it's very interesting actually and uh, just it's a path of understanding that's one thing another is understand and do whatever is said in the scriptures like uh, they say the path of karma yoga so try to apply it in your life, path of karma yoga. Try to understand, even one day, try to be a perfect karma yogi and understand the secret behind it. It's the most fascinating actually. Understand the secret behind this uh, attitude of karma yoga. And once we get it, then all, the whole life will change, will get transformed. So whatever little bit we have understood, try to apply it in your life, experiment it in, in your life. Then the scriptures also talk about values. So those values we have to again understand and try to apply it wherever possible. Value of compassion, value of friendship, value of forgiveness, value of uh, humility. All this one has to understand and apply it in our life. Slowly and steadily we will evolve to, uh, to, to gain that state of enlightenment. Here we are seeing that how can self-realization happen. That's what, if we follow this path, it will happen. Bhagwan in Gita has very beautifully mentioned the steps. First step is Karma Yoga, then comes, uh, through Karma Yoga you gain Vairagya, that is Chitta Shuddhi, the mind starts becoming more and more pure, the purity of mind gets expressed as Vairagya. Vairagya means freedom from both attachment and detachment. Freedom from both intense likes and dislikes, or freedom from lot of our negative qualities like anger, jealousy, greed, and all. Then comes the stage of gaining the knowledge, jnana marga, shravan manan Nidityasan. Listen to the scriptures, contemplate on questions like, who am I, what is the nature of this world, what is the nature of God, and become clear about the nature of one's own self. Once that clarity comes, then comes the path of meditation. Through meditation, we go into a state called nirvikalpa samadhi, and in that state of nirvikalpa samadhi, we come to recognize ourselves by ourself. So, karma yoga, leading to purity of the mind, then comes knowledge, and then comes dhyana, which will take us to the state of realization. Without knowledge, if we meditate, it will not help. It will be just concentration. Concentration is not meditation. So knowledge is very important step and that knowledge happens when the mind is sufficiently pure and has developed that jidnyasa, that thirst to know. And this happens when we follow the path of Karma Yoga, when we learn the art of living, when we learn the art of just going through our life in a most systematic way, when we learn, or in a different way to put, when we learn to bring our mind in the present moment. Karma Yoga is a technique by which, by not getting attached to the result, you are in the present. By not, uh, by not going into our past, we have become, come in the present. So living more and more in the present moment, our mind starts becoming more and more pure. And once it becomes pure, we develop the jidniyasa to know our self. And once we know our we will become liberated. So that will happen in its proper stages. Last set of four questions. Dear Swamiji, yes. Fundamentally, we are all are Sachidananda Brahma, Swaroop. It is only our memory, intellect, mind that are stopping us from realizing our true blissful nature by falling prey to the worldly objects. Would you kindly explain What is the purpose of this creation of which we beings are the part when everything is mithya and truth is one and the same? Is it the drama which is being played? What is the purpose of this drama? If we take this as drama, there will be no motivation to excel in our respective fields of working. There will be not research and engineering to improve the living as these are all directed towards physical possessions and comforts. Is it the best thing to only meditate in true sense and not strive to achieve the worldly things or even make efforts to make life comfortable for the mankind as he in any case take care of all of us? So he is asking the great uh, purpose. Actually, the purpose uh, of our um, existence um, is very difficult to Uh, put in simple words, but we can know the purpose from our own, by looking at our own mind. Our mind is constantly striving to fulfill the desires which arise in it. Though just objectively looking at our life, we feel that the purpose of life is to fulfill desires. Because that is what we are doing. Life is constant struggle to fulfill desires. We talk about it as desire from a human being standpoint, but even animals and all, constantly they are fulfilling their needs or their uh, desires. Hmm. And what is their desire? First desire is to maintain themselves, to secure. What in the scientific language we can say that the genes and the DNA and all wants to survive, They want to pass on that information to their young ones and die. Then they pass on to them and they die. They just want to survive. So survival is the first inborn instinct in all of us. Whether we are educated, uneducated, man, woman, whatever religion we may follow, survival instinct is there in all living beings. For lower beings who only think of survival, that becomes their purpose of life. If you ask an ant or a mosquito, and what is your purpose? They say, "I want to just survive." You know, but they cannot survive for long. So they, whatever they have, their essence, they give it. They give birth and they die. So they live through their children, their grandchildren, and all. The it continues. Same thing we have in our survival instinct. But another desire which we have is to seek pleasure. Why do we want to survive? So that I can be happy. I want to be happily surviving, not unhappily surviving. Why do you want to live? I want to be happy. I want to gain pleasure. So pleasure, seeking pleasure is another thirst which we have. So these are the two main thirst which we have Seeking uh, security, survival, and seeking pleasure. As a human being, we have analyzed this very deeply. We have understood that all beings, they seek these two, survival and pleasure. So we as a human being, we have evolved to accommodate other beings also. When we start thinking about other person's or other being survival and pleasure, then we call it as being good, being dharmic. Hmm. So, uh, take, talking from the technical standpoint, the survival instinct is called Artha Purushartha, pleasure seeking is Kama Purushartha, and the, the thirst to be good is called Dharma. We We have, it is there, in some measure we can see it in other creatures also but more in a human being that we think about others also their survival and their pleasure or their happiness but there is another thirst which is there which comes into rare few human being and that is a thirst to know myself a thirst to find out who what is the essence of me This is strange thirst which is there. It's it's a thirst for self-discovery, which comes in the human. In the first stage of this, uh, thirst is to know what is the secret of this world. And that is how the science has progressed. Science is nothing but thirst to discover, thirst to explore the world, want to know what is beyond this galaxy, want to know what is happening in other planets, Nowadays they are discovering more and more planets similar to Earth outside. Maybe it will not be too long when they will discover uh, that there are beings in other planets also. So it's a thirst to know what is this grand world in which we are living. But that thirst extends further in knowing what is the secret of me, who am I? And this seems to be the ultimate thirst. Because our scriptures, they say that one who gets this thirst to know himself and comes to recognize himself, all his thirst and all his desires just disappear. In Gita Bhagwan, in the 6th chapter, he says that having gained this self, he doesn't uh, desire anything else. Yam labdva, param He doesn't think there is greater gain than this. So this seems to be our purpose of our life. A thirst to know myself. All of us may be at different stages in our... Uh, some may be totally at a basic level. Somehow I have to survive. Get a good job. Get nice money in the bank. And get all this big house. And all this car and all those things, and I should somehow lead a very safe life, and then have proper pleasure and all first class uh, flat screen uh, TV and some other thing music set, and this and that and the. But Podoshi is complaining that you are playing loud music, and eh, who cares, Podoshi and all. But when he starts caring for the padoshi, then he has evolved further to become a dharmic person, a good person. And further evolution after being dharmic is the thirst to know our own self. So dharma also comes at a lower level than this great thirst for realization, which very few people get it and then they come to recognize Gautam Buddha, great saint, Mahatma, Gurudev, Bhagavand, Ramana Maharshi, and all, they are the rare few people who have walked this path and have recognized their own self. Till we reach that, we can keep becoming, I mean, evolving and being dharmic. So there is no nothing wrong in uh, following the path of uh, what you call doing some research in engineering and, and helping the world, improving the living condition of the world. It's part of life. One who is at this stage should continue with it. But one who, like you cannot uh, engage, uh, uh, evolved, more evolved uh, on this path of spirituality, in this particular activity they will not be interested but those who are interested, nothing wrong in it. One can live that type of life also. How to be away from worldly objects when we are dealing with them so closely? How to train ourselves? See, we don't have to be run away from worldly objects. We should just not come under their sway. They should not hamper our journey. They should not create any problem, obstacle on our path of this spirituality. If they create problem, then there is... So one should not come under their sway. That's what in Gita, third chapter, Bhagavan said, No, you don't come under the sway of these objects. Use them, but don't see, remain alert, aware, see that they don't use you. Use television, but don't don't uh, f- fall prey to television. Use uh, whatever mobile, use whatever, but don't come under their sway. Remain independent all the time. For that alertness, knowledge, discrimination is required. Regular satsang will also help. This is another set of two questions, but both sets appear similar. This is asked by another person on the same paper. If attaining moksha was our ultimate goal, why test us, tease us with desires for worldly goods and people? Why did God create this maya jal? Hmm. Whatever be the reason why God created? In fact, as I said, God is not different from us. Actually, the... The ultimate uh, answer to this whole Jal is that it is indescribable. It is anirvachaniya. The scriptures, they don't try to describe this, explain this world. The scriptures mainly focus on um, making us free from all this delusion and making us realize our own self. How we came into this delusion is a big theory only. Various theories are there, in which the term maya and all we use, and one may get more confused. It's like a person is sick, let us say stomach ache, and the person suffering and goes to the doctor. And the doctor says, okay, let us analyze from where you got this, 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 this. Where did you go and what did you eat and let us go and inquire there and okay for if you, it is required for the purpose of curing then it is fine. But just for the sake of uh, uh, curiosity then it's not good. You just take the medicine which is uh, good and it will cure you. Similarly the scripture says that you just take the medicine of doing your sadhana and come out of this maya Jaal. Who created? Why he created? Those questions cannot be answered. They are all theories. And theories have their own defects. If we say God created, then we will start fighting with God. If we say it has come from Maya, then we will ask what is this Maya and all. So it is inexplicable. Hmm. Anirvachaniyam. Vedanta says it is anirvachaniyam. Cannot be explained, but you can wake up from this dream. How this dream started? We can't explain it. But we have a technique of coming out of this dream. That Vedanta says we can teach you. But how it happened, we don't know. Hmm, that is the ultimate answer like. How to train our mind, intellect to go away from being a slave of senses and ego? Same thing, we follow the path of karma-yoga, you become, remain alert and awake all the time, and uh, what you call, develop positive qualities. Develop positive, uh, strengthen your strengths, strengthen the positive qualities, Negativities will automatically fall down. If I want to conquer my anger, don't fight with your anger. Anger is very strong. Jealousies are strong. Pride is strong. They are all rakshasas. Don't think you can frighten them. So what should we do? You take support of the devatas, the good qualities. Strengthen them. Strengthen your love. Strengthen compassion. Strengthen your contentment. Greed will automatically go. But if you try to avoid greed and fight with greed, it will not go. So, the one way of uh, training our senses and mind and all is to strengthen it with proper knowledge and uh, proper sadhana. I think that is that. Some of your questions might have uh, remained also, but I have seen many of them uh, have, must have got answered as we went through the other chapters. So this is the conclusion of all the uh, questions. And uh, in future we can again have some fresh questions and have the question-answer session. Uh, now we want to show you a short clipping of Pujya Gurudev and also some announcement. So I will conclude with a prayer and then we will see the clipping. And after the clipping and the thing we will... Uh, Conclude. Uh, Tomorrow we will continue with the fifth chapter, the remaining, uh, the following verses and all. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyate Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Harihi Om